the church is, what comes to mind? A picture, some words, maybe you have to quickly scratch off the words that first come to mind and try to put in the, the right words, the correct words to that answer. What must the church be? Therefore, for some of our context, what must it become again? We're following on the, on the heels of a two-month series on what happens next as a statement, not a question. What happens next to the people of God who find themselves in a place that is uncertain, unsettled, maybe filled with doubt, worry, fear? What happens next? And we saw in the story, following on the gospel story into the book of Acts, Jesus shows up, the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit fills his people They become the church, and God is with them in a powerful way for influence in a new community and influence to the community beyond. So this mini-series, maybe just a few weeks on the church is, as we reflect on that early church, as we looked at last week, Acts 2, 42 through 47, maybe the greatest description of the church still standing today but it's also an invitation for us today. Lots of things change over time. It's been 2,000 years, but some things are meant to endure. And so we receive that as an invitation, some of the things that this early church devoted themselves to. I think in our current climate and landscape and culture and over these last decades, the church is, will be answered in many ways that we would not want to see it answered as. Could we see what, the scriptures reveal and what God wants for the church even today. A few things that the church isn't before turning to the scriptures in a few, a few places to see what the church is. Just beginning this series, we'll continue it next week. The church is not a building. I think this one is so ingrained within us and even if most of us would, would agree with that, would pause and say, yes, certainly the church is, is not a building. It's certainly more than a building. Uh, we still use that terminology. Have you seen the new church being built on Main Street? <laughs> Referring to a building. We have a sign out in front of this building that says Union Hill Church, which this building, this facility sits empty a lot of the time during the week. So as people drive by and associate that title, that sign with a building, I know I'll still use the phraseology this way. Do you want to meet at the church? Referring to this place, this facility. It just becomes ingrained, I think, within us. And while the Apostle Paul uses the metaphor of building, of temple, Christ Jesus as the cornerstone, we sang about that, the apostles and the prophets as the foundation stones, we all being built upon that foundation with that cornerstone. I guess that makes us all bricks. But in the early church days, they never would have had a building. It was illegal to profess Jesus as Lord, kurios in the Greek, because only Caesar was Lord. So to profess Jesus as Lord, or any other person, any other king, was illegal. The thought to gather openly would have not been on the minds of the early church. So they couldn't have fathomed having a church building to go to. They wouldn't have used that language. 
It only shows up in a metaphorical sense in the scriptures. Similarly, the church is not an event. It's not a building. It's not an event. We use the phraseology similarly. I missed you at church last week. This service, we call it that for a reason, a service, and it is an event, it is a gathering of the church. But this itself is not the church. Now for many, I think we only consider church as an event. I was remembering growing up in, in a mega church that had three services on a Sunday, we would, we would speak to one another after going to youth church. We'd say, are you going to big church? Referring to the third event that was happening that morning. Are you going to big church? So that language can become ingrained as well. We can even participate with church only as a, a, an event, a show, like a play, like a matinee. We go, there's nothing required of us. We can participate, perhaps, by standing or clapping or humming along or singing along. If we know the lyrics, we can show up when we want. We can leave when we want. It's mostly free. There is a donation box in the back that makes us feel guilty sometimes, so maybe we should pay for that good event that was put on. If we're inspired, if we're encouraged, if it was entertaining, we'll probably go back next week. If not, or if there's something better to do in our city or in our town, we'll attend there. The church may gather for events, as we are now. It may regularly use a building, the same one, a facility, but it is neither. During the pandemic, we had a couple families leave our church community because we were not gathering in this space, in this building, because we chose to remain outdoors under the tents We didn't know it would be a year, it was a year, as we walked through a pandemic, and we chose the approach to be careful with our broader community, not claiming to know the answers, certainly, but trying to be faithful to follow some of our our governing authorities, who we believe were trying to the best of their ability in a very complex situation, not getting it right, not understanding our context, but saying this is something we can do. We are a sacrificial people after all, aren't we? And we look forward to the time to come back indoors. We had a few families leave because of that decision, because we were not in this building, in this space. We had another couple leave because we paused our service for the month of August. You may remember that in 2020, as we were doing online church, we say, with that That doesn't even really fit our model and our mindset and our definition of church. But it was something, it was a response and a great effort by the team to move mobily in that way, digitally. We said the church must gather. We believe that is the definition of the church. The church must gather. How are we going to do that? Let's pause for a month and let's gather on Friday nights. Let's bring in a food truck. Let's eat together. Let's feed those in need. Let's share generously. Let's see one another. Let's find out what needs there are. Let's pray for one another. Let's have community on Friday night. Let's make church a verb on Fridays and let's do church. And let's open our eyes to the community. And we did. And it was a powerful expression that still has impact today. And I was chatting with a longtime church member in the parking lot during a food truck who said, I don't, he said, I don't know what you're thinking, 
stopping services. The people need to be fed. And I almost laughed looking around at the hundred people eating in our parking lot because the connection just was not there. The church is not a building, it's not an event, though it may gather in a building, it gather for events as we are doing now and we do other times, but it is neither. Third, the church is not a business. I remember a good friend of mine praising our mega church in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, they run that church like a business. That's something that I can understand and relate to. I like it. Not too personal. You know, if, if you're older, and I'll let you determine whether you fit that category or not, and, and you would say, I grew up in the church. I use that language too. I mean, from a little kid running around our church all the way through, through youth group, but some sense of, I, I kind of grew up in the church, with the church. You grew up in a corporate church environment, almost certainly. That's really all that's been known in our country for decades and decades. And what do corporations tend to value? Expansion, influence, power, and revenue. Sadly, when we answer the question, the church is, from maybe an American church lens, if we try to answer that on behalf of our our friends who would never step foot in a church building for a church event, some of the things that are going to be on that list answering that phrase are hypocrisy, scandal, immorality, impropriety, cover-ups, toxic leadership hierarchy, bigotry, etc. None of the things that we would want to see on that list, but nonetheless, what we've seen in our media and our news over these decades things that we've become accustomed to by large corporations who are driven by the values of expansion, influence, power, and revenue. Tragic that this could be the reality. I continue to meet people and hear stories of people who have left the church completely, but would say, I have not left my faith or my spirituality, or my love for Jesus. I just don't want to be around his people anymore. Something is deeply wrong. If the church is not meant to be a business, an event, and certainly not a building, what is it? How do you answer that question? What pictures come to mind? Because the scriptures actually give us many pictures, many descriptions of the church but not much of a definition, perhaps because it is complex. It's more of an organism than an organization. The most common word for church in the Greek scriptures, the Greek language, the Koine Greek was what the earliest scriptures were written in at the time, time around Jesus' day and the decades following. The word is ekklesia, used 114 times in, in what most of us would hold in our, our Bibles today, ecclesia. It primarily is used in the first and second century as gathering, as assembly, not just for spiritual purposes, but any larger gathering that comes together for a purpose. But when you break down the Greek word ecclesia, as most Greek words are compound in nature, communicating more than sometimes our English words do, ek is out of, the prefix out of, and kaleo 
is to be called, to call. So the called out ones, the called out assembly. Now, if you put both of those together, I think for the full richness of the word, the church is those called out, out of the kingdom of the world into God's kingdom who are gathering together, assembling with purpose. You could define it in lots of different ways. But to use, I think, the way the early church would have spoken of themselves, we are the ones called, called out. Ecclesia, the called out ones, gathering together for the purpose, for a specific purpose, for the work that God would invite us to. The church not gathered, individuals who are believers in Jesus not gathered together would have been Christians. That was a slanderous term originally given, the little Christ, the ones that looked like Christ enough, lived their life in that incredibly sacrificial, giving, deferring, non-aggressive way, they were the Christians. Christian can be a negative term today for other reasons. We would receive it if it meant we are the ones that look most like Christ in our community. So believers, followers of Jesus, not assembled with purpose, but getting together to watch the Seahawks game, to go on a hike, to go camping together. They're not the church. They're Christians, gathering, fellowshipping, being friends. When gathered with a purpose, they become the church. We are the church this morning. You are not attending church. We are the church because we are followers of Jesus, believers, gathering together with purpose, with an intention. It's multifaceted this morning. It extends beyond this room as we move to tables as we pitch in, as we share, as we break bread together. There's purpose to that. Now, it can just be a meal, but when the purpose is to get to know one another better, to bless those that have come, to share what we have in some small part with others, it's purposeful. That's the word used in Scripture is koinonia. We translate it as fellowship. Not a very common word unless you're a Lord of the Rings fan, That assembly, diverse, unique, with purpose. I digress. The church is the church when the believers, when the Christians gather together for purpose. To do what? We looked last week at the greatest description of the church in action, I think, in the New Testament. Acts, concise at least, Acts 2, 42 through 47. The early church assembled For the apostles' teaching, for the teaching of the scriptures, those were the Hebrew scriptures, pointing toward the Messiah, Jesus, trying to see how all the way, all the prophecies and the law pointed forward to the fulfillment in Jesus that he claimed. They devoted themselves. We saw that that word means they moved with strength toward. It was an active word. They moved with strength toward the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, which was for them the communion meal. It was a larger meal as well, like we share today, but with the intention of we are going to put Christ as central. He said, do this in remembrance. To the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, that's to know and be known, to see one another, to give, to serve, to care for one another, and to prayer. They came together and devoted themselves with these purposes. When the followers of Jesus come together with one, spe- one or more of those specific purposes in mind, that is church. 
So you are the church today. You are not attending church. As you gather in life groups this week, for many that do, I think we have over 45 of us regularly in a life group meeting every other week. When you come, not in one life group, in four spread out at different places in different homes, moving into someone's home who's opening their doors, opening their table, all sharing in, in, a, in a meal together, looking to get to know one another, to encourage, to find ways to serve and to bless one another, to pray for one another, to do life together. You are, we don't say, I'm going to church tonight, referring to life group, do we? That would be more accurate of a term than I'm going to church on Sunday. I would encourage you to only use it as a verb. We are going to church tonight. Make it a verb because it is with purpose and intention. The church is as much the church in those places, in those homes, as it is when we come here on Sunday morning at 10. There's a couple analogies, actually many pictures in the, the scriptures that help us understand more fully. I'll cover just a couple of them quickly. We'll come back to them next week. The church uses a number of analogies, the scriptures use a number of analogies for the church in the New Testament scriptures. I think there's four that kind of rise up to the top. Honorable mention, a city, a kingdom, a nation, being citizens of, that language is used in a number of different places. Agricultural metaphors, these are honorable mentions. Vine, vineyard, field, plant, that, lang- that kind of language is, is throughout the scriptures. In an agrarian culture, it made sense uh, to them. There's some martial or army type language, but that was in contrast to the armies, the nations, the forces of the world. We are, the army of God does, does things very differently. That shows up a few different places. I'll contend there's four primary used in multiple books by different authors in different ways. Two B's and two F's. Bride, body, flock, and family. The church is like a bride, like a body, like a flock, and like a family. Two B's and two F's. Sounds like your junior high report card, yeah? How about just the bees today? Because I see your faces. The bride is a positional metaphor. The body is a functional one. The bride imagery isn't used as much in the scriptures, but it is significant. It's so important as a position, indicating how deeply God loves his church. Christ loves his bride. Jesus referred to himself as the bridegroom the groom coming for his bride. In Matthew 25, he taught a parable referring to his second coming. He would return again, coming to his bride, and there would be a celebration. There would be like a wedding at that time. It's future language. It's language we can, we can grasp. Many of us can understand the marriage language meant to be the most intimate relationship we have on earth, always complex, often difficult and broken, not what we would hope it fully to be because we have our self-centeredness. But Christ, the perfect groom, coming for his bride to make us one and to make us holy. In Revelation, this is future imagery that John sees and paints for us. Revelation 19, 7 
Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. We are the bride. This is what we long for. Scriptures use this in a future sense most of the time, but this is how Jesus sees us today. He loves us this deeply. Paul brings this imagery alive in his letter to the Ephesian church, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is what Christ has done and will do for his bride. Now, this passage has implication for earthly marriages. I think it's been hijacked a little bit out of that letter and almost only applied to earthly marriages or to husbands or to wives and to their role. The way that Paul writes Ephesians is to the whole of the church with the emphasis on Christ. This passage is more about who Christ is and what he will do than than what husbands and wives should do, though we can't learn from that. I think we flipped those often. God's love for his people endures forever. All throughout the Hebrew scriptures, there's the, the subtle nature of God's love for his people being compared to a marriage. Because when God's people reject him, turn from him, disobey him, it's most often described as adultery. That's the most common language used when God's people turn from him and his love and his presence. They become adulterers. Not just idolaters, but adulterers, breaking that sacred covenant relationship. We, as the bride of Christ, are loved so deeply. As a whole, God's eyes are always on the whole, on the people, and on individuals. His love is poured out for each one. May we receive that and respond to that love today. Second, the second B is body. This becomes more functional. If that one's positional, we are loved that deeply. This one becomes functional in our response. This seems to be Paul's favorite, repeatedly referring to believers as the body of Christ. A succinct example in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. That whole passage is about the body of Christ, but he says it this way. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So if we are the body, Jesus is the head. He's the head. That's the image that Paul picks up in a few different places. Back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are all to grow up into, every, into him who is the head into Christ. In every way, from whom, Christ the head, the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, which makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That imagery is a helpful one. We can understand it. We can get our our mind around it. Uh, All of these metaphors, like any metaphor analogy, when pressed to the extreme, break apart. That's why we need so many different pictures and metaphors. Let me quote a 31-year-old pastor from more than a decade ago that I just don't agree with most things that he said then, but this one seems spot on. 
He says, there's no faster way for a church to get in trouble, to get off track, than to not have Jesus as the head. Check the org chart of the church. Who's at the top? It better not be a man, a group of men, or a board. It better be Jesus. I don't quote myself often, especially from 11 years ago, but in a sermon on church structure, imagine that, I think I was on to something. Christ is the head, which means he's at the top. He directs, he leads. Paul says he joins and holds the whole body together. This means that he is the source of unity and continuity. Using the metaphor of our bodies, when our bodies are healthy and fit, they are both strong, flexible, and working together efficiently, functioning. That's a healthy and a fit body. I think we can make that application to the church. When we are healthy and fit, we are strong together and we are flexible. We have unity because we work together effectively, functionally. But we are not all the same. Unique yet unified. Diverse, not divided. This is the body imagery that Paul hammers on repeatedly, especially in 1 Corinthians 12. We are the body working together to grow in strength, each part doing its part. How do we do this when it seems that within the church, maybe we're not the exception, but certainly when we look around the the whole, the capital C church, it seems that there's more disunity, division, immaturity, stubbornness, and weakness than there is strength, unity, flexibility, love, service. Paul says, speaking the truth in love, this is how we will grow up. I believe this means more that we are transparent, vulnerable, full of integrity, and that we confess. I believe that is speaking the truth, revealing truth. I think it's often been taken and applied as rebuke, correction, dogma, doctrine. I don't believe that's Paul's heart when he speaks of the body being one. He speaks of transparency, vulnerability, integrity, and the like. Would we become, in our community, and within this community, a body working together according to our gifts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, so he really presses this analogy, so we can. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. You don't think Paul has a weird sense of humor? That would not make the foot less a part of the body, simply because of its perspective. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? So if you didn't have a picture in mind answering the question, the church is, go with that. Now if you want to doodle. If the whole body were an eye, if the whole body were an ear... I see Ella looking at me. So Ella, you can participate. I know you're the artist amongst us. What would it look like if the whole body were an ear, an eye, a nose? If the whole body were one of these parts, how would it function? That's Paul's purpose. But God arranges the body, each one as he chooses to work together. 
A healthy church is a functioning body. What if you're the liver? I love that analogy. You're a little introverted. Not very glamorous. Kind of messy if people get close to you. But without you, the body dies. You bring balance. You're a filter. You bring strength and health. Apply that probably to a number of different parts of the body. Paul goes there, the less glamorous ones. Here's another quote from that aforementioned young pastor from 11 years ago. So if you're in a church, not this one of course, but in a church and you're just sitting there and you've never asked, how can I help? How can I serve? How can I be a part? You're like an appendix. You're a taker. You're feeding off the body. You contribute nothing. If you do anything, it's probably going to suddenly hurt the body. So we'd probably be better off without you. Don't be an appendix. It'd be better even to be a butt. At least then you'd help the church rest. Can you believe the elders stuck with me all these years? They believed in the growth and maturing of all of us. They just didn't know it was going to take this long. (laughs) Grace and patience and love. A healthy church body should expect effectiveness when we each are working in accordance with our gifting that God has given. And this isn't a message on how to find out your gifting. I will say one thing. Start giving. Start serving. Plug in. You'll find it. It, it, It'll happen. You don't have to sit and overanalyze. You'll find it. You'll start seeing where it's a little more natural for you and a little easier than it seems for others, whatever that thing is. And sometimes we are, as a body, meant to just do some some work together uh, to be effective and to be healthy and and to bless. So pitch in. Don't be an appendix. Be eyes that see needs, hearts that care, minds that plan and prepare, arms that reach and embrace, feet that go, mouths that speak comfort and encourage. I think this is one of the reasons Jesus said to the disciples, it is to your advantage that I go when the Spirit comes. That's a really tough statement. They didn't probably receive that. I think we would say that doesn't seem, I would rather Jesus is here somewhere on earth That seems more tangible and real. What would he be doing if he was, I mean, I can get my mind around that, but the Spirit's power within us, that feels uncertain at times. But Jesus said it. It's to our advantage, the church. I believe it's because Jesus was limited by an earthly body. When his extended body, empowered by the Spirit, works together, it it can multiply and be effective in ways that one person could never be. And that's the church meant to reflect him. We don't need to be Jesus. We need to be his body, working with the giftings that God has given. I'm so proud of this community when I think about all of the ways that you use your giftings, that you serve and plug in, some with relative ease, others being stretched into these places, serving our kids, youth and families, supporting young parents, opening your homes, Gathering people together, planting gardens, building homes, sewing quilts, donating food, making meals, giving sacrificially, 
making beautiful music, creating, inviting in beautiful spaces together, seeing those in need, sometimes in crisis in our community and responding, receiving and welcoming and going and blessing. Well done. Almost every one of you is engaged in some way and maybe multiple ways into the body of Christ to reflect him. That doesn't mean we don't all need to grow further. And for those of you that are newer to our community, the invitation is there. We need you. The body's not strong without you. God has gifted you uniquely to serve and to bless. And we do this in response to what God has done for us. Because Christ has given all. He's given his body for his bride. We respond to that love in kind. Not out of guilt, but out of joy and amazement that he would do so for us. That's why we act. When people, whenever someone would, would ask, well, why are you doing that? The answer is not because it's a nice thing to do. It may be. The answer is because of what God has done for me. He's given everything for me. He saved my life. And I get to live like that. I believe that is what life to the full means. You, today, whoever you're serving, get to be the recipient of that love because I'm the recipient of Christ's love. He loves us that much. We celebrate that today. We celebrate that as we'll pause and take communion, this first meal that we share together, being reminded that God has given of himself, that Christ has come and given his body that we would have life. We celebrate that again today. Today, we also have the opportunity to practice being the body as we all pitch in, share a meal, break bread, wash dishes together. Amen. May we respond and practice being the body and grow stronger, more unified, and more flexible together. If there's anything you hold on to now as we respond, as we sing, as we meditate, receive again the love of God for you, his bride. Men, I think we can do this too. You're good enough for that. You can do it. Receive his love for you. He delights in you. He draws near to us today and we get to draw near to him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your incredible love. Thank you for giving us the pictures of your body, of your bride, of the flock, of the family, and more to help us begin to see what you intend for us, what you've invited us into. Convict us where we've failed to be your bride or to receive the depth of your love or to be your body or to live as brothers and sisters in your family together. Convict us, show us, show us where we're self-centered still. Help us where we fall short, where we're weak. Strengthen us in every way. Make us flexible and faithful. We honor you as head. Unify us and maintain that unity. Direct us to be your hands, your feet, and your mouth for your glory, for our joy. Amen.